all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This is the program where you can call in with your questions that you might have about the health of yourself or someone else in your family or friends. We take all those calls, no matter what the topic. Maybe it's a medication that you don't quite understand or maybe some side effects of something or some, maybe some new symptoms that you haven't quite figured out what's going on. This is your chance to call and to get the answers that you need, you can reach us this morning by dialing one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call, we would love to see your emails. You can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. Also, want to mention that you can always go to our website and check out archived content. Uh, that's mpbonline.org. Just search for Southern Remedy or any of our other uh, MPB programs. Or you can subscribe to your favorite podcast using your whatever app you uh, wish. And just search for Southern Remedy, and you can listen to us at your leisure. I hope everybody's having a great day. Um, started this morning with a little little ride early when it was still cool, but it warmed up quick. I was sweating up a storm after uh I finished, but I hope you are taking measures to try to uh, manage the heat and humidity as we have entered summertime in full force. Uh, It's always something that sort of sneaks up on you, but uh, if you're new to the South, please, please pay attention to how much time you're outside. You can lose a lot of water quickly, and you really can't keep up with it too well. If you have to be outside, make sure that it's at times that are cooler in the day, if you can, early in the morning, later in the afternoon. And don't forget about all those critters that can be out there, too, particularly mosquitoes. So we uh, certainly have had a lot of mosquitoes. We can have them all year round here in Mississippi, uh, but they come out with a vengeance in the summertime. So uh, just keep that in mind and want to protect yourself as much as you can as you uh, go out and enjoy uh, the outdoors. Had a chance to go to uh, Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and uh, man, it was a lot different up there uh, as far as the the weather. Seventies uh, for a high and fifties for a low, but that humidity is really what uh, what can sneak up on you. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call right now is one eight seven seven MPB ring for your questions about any kind of health care issue that you might have. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. One of the most common questions that we get in clinic and uh, and over the years on Southern Remedy has been reflux. And, uh, you know, reflux or gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD as it's known is extremely common. 
Uh, it can be exacerbated or brought on by a number of risk factors. Being overweight is one. Uh, oftentimes, it can run into families. So uh, several people within the same family might have that. And even young kids can have it. But typically, it'll be that sort of telltale um, burning sensation right below your sternum, uh, just uh, deep to your uh, to your breastbone. And it can be associated with belching or with uh, you know pro- uh, pain in your stomach. Typically, after a meal or after a trigger, so a lot of people are triggered by different things like caffeine or um, by excess amounts of certain spicy foods or acidic foods. And typically, this goes away fairly quickly in most everybody, um, uh, you know, particularly if it's triggered by something. You can take some antacids. There are several different types. One is sort of buffers the acidic uh, levels in the stomach. Things like Tums are uh, useful. Uh, of course, if you're using more of those, you want to get uh, probably checked out by your physician. They may prescribe a short course of uh, med- two different types of medications that reduce the amount of acid in your stomach. One are H2 blockers, and that's things like Pepsid uh, that you can take. And then also uh, there are the proton pump inhibitors. So these are things like Nexium or uh, Prilosec or Prevacid. And uh, those uh, those can be useful too. There are some long-term side effects, particularly with uh, bone loss or uh, with uh, calcium metabolism. But um, it, you know, a lot of times you'll need that for a short-term treatment. You can do that on an outpatient basis. Those medications that I just uh, mentioned are all over the counter now. Uh, but if it persists beyond about two to three weeks, you probably need to get that checked out. Also remember that reflux symptoms can also be confused sometimes with heart uh, symptoms. So you may need to get uh, further testing to try to differentiate those. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to our first caller, Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I'd like to ask you a couple of quick little questions. I, has West Nile virus dropped off the map? I, I, you never hear or see anything about West Nile virus anymore, or, or is it gone, or what, what happened to that? Also, I hear there's some new treatment for uh, Alzheimer's, and I was just curious, what, what would that be? It said it's, it can stop the progression of that disease in its tracks. Okay, that's my two questions. Sure, yeah. So the the West Nile question, I'll take that one first. Um, You know, West Nile is transmitted during, uh, it's transmitted by mosquitoes. And I, unfortunately, was the recipient of West Nile the first year that it came through Mississippi. I actually had it during the summertime. It was not pleasant at all. had really uh, bad flu-like symptoms and a headache with it. And uh, fortunately, I recovered. I had some uh, just fatigue for about four to six weeks after that. But um, over the years, we've seen less cases, thankfully, and that's thought to be from the development of some natural immunity to it. Of course, there wasn't really any good treatment besides supportive treatment um, in trying to to treat the symptoms and try to prevent some of the the nasty complications of it. but we haven't. We still see it, though. If it's actually tracked through the health department, it gets picked up from time to time, and usually those are the more severe cases. And a lot of people, even the first year that it came through, a lot of people had asymptomatic. In other words, no symptoms whatsoever 
uh, and and uh, and contracted it. You can't really get it from person to person, so that's not something to worry about. There's not really a, a documented person to person contact. But again, it's transmitted from uh, a vector, which is just something else that's transmitting it back and forth between people, and that's a mosquito. Uh, so I, my advice, there are a couple of other things like West Nile out there. There's Eastern Equine Encephalitis. Uh, there are uh, several different other um, um, viral uh, viruses that are that are passed by by from person to person by mosquitoes. They can have some pretty bad side effects, including meningitis and in immunocompromised people death. So still need to be careful out there if you've got mosquitoes. Uh, you know, and during this time of year, and uh, you wear long sleeve. It's, you know, some of the things that will prevent mosquitoes from getting you are contrary to being out in the heat, like long sleeve, loose fitting clothing, um, making sure that you don't have standing water. But it is still something that we see from time to time. West Nile still in our differential for someone who comes in with those symptoms. Second question about uh, Alzheimer's disease. So, um, you know, Alzheimer's is a, a progressive dementia that um, has some neurofibrillary tangles is what they're called. So it's really some things that interfere with the brain's normal process for, for thinking and for dealing with memory and, and all kinds of things. It is progressive in nature. It does seem to follow uh, a family history. And, of course, the biggest thing in, in, uh, you know, in that, that uh, they're trying to study and develop are effective treatments against it, although we do know there are some things that you can do to, to help prevent it, like taking care of uh, chronic diseases that, um, that um, might uh, put you at risk for it, like hypertension, diabetes, uh, staying active, eating a healthy diet, all those things can help prevent that, even if you have a family history of it. But there are a couple of medications, and I don't have them right in front of me. I'll try to look those up during the break and mention them, Sue. But, um, but yeah, they, there are some promising things in development in the pipeline that can help slow down or perhaps prevent some of the uh, progression of Alzheimer's. Um, and it's through some of those different pathways in the development of those those plaques, those neurofibrillary tangles in the brain, but um, but yet thankfully it is such a horrendous disease. If you have anybody in your family uh, that has uh, you know has had Alzheimer's or any of the other dementias, it is very frustrating, and it's certainly uh, one of those things that we would love to target so that people don't have those complications as they get older. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical questions answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Here to answer your questions about any kind of medical issue that you might be curious about or going through, you can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to John in Biloxi. Good morning, John. Good morning. What's your so, question this morning? Uh, just if you could talk in general about uh, idiopathic neuropathy. Apparently, sure. a lot more people have it than than um, it's uh, yeah. normally thought of. So I'm going. I'll get off the phone and listen by the radio. Sure. Thank you, John. Thanks. Yeah, this that's an important topic. So so neuropathy is sort of a generic term that describes a damage to nerves, and it can present in a couple of different ways. One way is that you can have numbness or a loss of sensation. And typically that's in your hands or feet and extremities, but it can be really anywhere. And there's lots of different things that could cause damage to nerves, so there's there's lots of different things that might, might be doing that. The other symptom that you can have is called paresthesias or changes in sensation, and that can be painful. Uh, it can be pins and needles. It can feel just weird. Um, now, idiopathic, anytime you hear that term, it means that we don't know, basically. So uh, we're an idiot, uh, and I, I mean the, the medical field as it, as it relates to that. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily that, um, you know, we're inept at doing that. It's just that at that point, uh, other things have been sort of crossed off the list that could cause it. And with neuropathy, one of the most common things that can cause it is diabetes. Uh, there are vitamin deficiencies. B12 uh, is one that if you don't have enough for a long period of time, you can damage the nerves that way. There can be some damage directly to the nerves um, from trauma um, uh, that crush the nerves that can cause that. Uh, you can even have, you know, a break in uh, in a bone, like in your forearm, and have something called reflex uh sympathetic dystrophy from that. So so there's a lot of different reasons to do that. But when we have sort of checked everything else off the list, that's where you get the idiopathic term. And once you get there, we we are not able to be as targeted as we could be for neuropathy in the treatment of it. And we have to be sort of generic. Uh, so instead of using sort of a rifle to treat the disease, we have to use a shotgun or even a cannon. And there are some things that have been useful, and it varies from person to person, but as a whole, there are several different medications that can help with chronic uh, idiopathic neuropathy. Uh, one is a, a class of medications that are sort of were originally developed as seizure medications, but have been useful for um, for all kinds of neuropathy or neuropathic pain. One is gabapentin or neurotin, and one is Lyrica. They're very similar, but they have sort of different side effect profiles. Uh, so that may be something that your physician may uh, prescribe for idiopathic uh, neuropathy. Uh, and there's some other things too. Cymbalta is a um, antidepressant uh, depression and anxiety medication that was 
seem to be very useful as some of the other um, SSRI categories uh, have been for chronic pain. Uh, but in in particular, Cymbalta has been. There's a couple of other things, um, uh, but you sure want to. You really want to be sure that you have investigated other things that might be uh, causing neuropathy. Uh, but once you get to that point, you really have to look broadly speaking at at things that to try to preserve that. Another thing to keep in mind is anybody with any type of neuropathy needs to be very careful, particularly with their feet. And the reason is uh, our sensation, if we have a lack of sensation or a change in sensation, little things that we do repetitively on our feet or to our feet can cause skin breakdown and they can cause sores, uh, open wounds, uh, and even loss of of toes or even parts of your foot if it's not uh, taken care of. I I distinctly remember having seeing patients in the ER setting or in clinic where they'll come in and they're like, you know, I think something's in my shoe. It's sort of, I, I don't know, it sort of feels a little differently when I walk. And then we take off the shoe and the sock and they've got a huge um, ulcer that's developed on their foot. So if you can't, you know, if you have neuropathy, make sure that you or someone else is inspecting your feet regularly. Um, and uh, you may need to see a podiatrist too regularly to take care of that, particularly if you're a diabetic. But um, the idiopathic part, anything that's idiopathic, we're a little, you know, I'm always, uh, once we get to that point, it's a little frustrating not to be able to hang your hat on a diagnosis. But unfortunately, that's where we are with medicine. As we progress along, uh, you know, if you look at all the idiopathic categories, we've delved out all kinds of different reasons for those things. But for right now, that's, that's sort of where we are. So I hope that helps, John, uh, for you or for someone else who's dealing with that. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Sue had called earlier about with a question about uh, an Alzheimer's drug treatment, and there's really only one out there. It's a monoclonal antibody, so that just means that it's a synthetic antibody that has been uh, uh, developed to um, to target the protein that was, uh, you know, I mentioned neurofibrillary tangles. Well, that's made up of proteins, particularly one called beta amyloid. So what this antibody does is it's it sort of, after you're diagnosed with, with Alzheimer's, you can then try to treat it. Um, so it's a, a uh, immunotherapy that targets that protein and helps to reduce some of those plaques. Uh, which are the brain lesions that that cause Alzheimer's, and it is aducanumab or aduhelm. That's A D U H E L M is the trade name. So it's just been approved by pretty recently from by the FDA for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. Only real medication we have. There are other things that can help improve your memory, but really that's the a targeted one. We talked about targeted approaches. Um, you know, that's that's really that that rifle approach to um, to uh, try to to prevent progression of that. And it's actually, in clinical trials, been shown to be really useful. Contrary to popular belief, I don't always remember everything on the spot, so it's nice to to be able to look that up uh, during the break. But hopefully that's helpful to Sue and other people out there that are unfortunately uh, either have questions or maybe even uh, have somebody that, uh, that has Alzheimer's disease. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call if you have a question about any kind of health care issue is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 
Let's go to Chad from Natchez. Good morning, Chad. Uh, yes, sir. I was going to ask you a question. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, well, for one, as far as the uh, neuropathy, I heard on commercials for the Nervi medication, like over-the-counter. Yeah, and it's, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of good evidence. That, uh, but this is what I tell my patients because I've had a lot that call me about that in particular. Um, I think it's worthwhile. There's nothing in the ingredients in, in most cases that are going to harm anybody. And I think it's 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 worth a shot. Unfortunately, when you look at the at the clinical or the what little data there is, uh, and I've looked into it about how it works, it's not really that useful in in saying that this should be something everybody's trying. But I tell them, look, look, you know, and and when you're treating neuropathy, every treatment, it's it's not something that you're going to see right off the bat. Really, you need to have it. You know, you need to be doing it for about two to four weeks to see. At the, at the least amount to see an, an improvement or whether it's going to improve, and then you can sort of move on to something else. So, you know, I tell my patients, if you want to try that, that's fine, particularly if you've tried other things. Um, if you give it two to four weeks and it's still not, you don't see much difference, then you can just stop it. Um, but um, but definitely, you know, you want to give it some time to work. Yes, sir. I had another question as far as this personal um when I was younger, a teenager, I was in a hunting accident. I lost my eyesight, um, mm. but I was I was shot with a shotgun, and I have four or five pellets in my front frontal part of my brain. Is that something I need to worry about? Uh, probably not. So um, you know, people always worry about you know either buckshot or or you know shotgun shot or or bullets, and it really depends on where they are and what they're made of. And uh, in most cases, uh, you know, if you can't remove it easily, which certainly anything inside your head, you don't want to go messing around in there. But I, I would say it's probably not something that you should be worried about. However, over time, sometimes you can get some scar tissue around the area. If it's in your brain or around your brain, then that can sometimes develop uh, either uh, like a, a seizure later on or some inflammation. But if it happened, you know, decades ago, it's very unlikely. Yeah, here recently, like it's been a long time ago, but I'm like, I'm losing like some of my muscle um, action on on the side of the face that I got shot on. Yeah. Uh huh. Like, like, and I don't know, I don't know something, anything I should be doing for that or. Yeah. Now, in in if you have some, you know, if even if it's been been years since that initial incident. I, I would go see. I would get your a physician to send you to an occupational ther- therapist and maybe even an ENT that is um, skilled at reconstructive type things, and not necessarily from a surgical standpoint. Right. Uh, but they can work with you to help develop. You know those. It's uh, nerves and muscles are just like any. You know, in any part of the body are are pretty similar, and there are some things that you can do to retrain that over time. Uh, so it may be that there's just been a loss of function over time because of that initial injury that you might be able to regain some of that. So I think that's worth a shot. But occupational therapists are similar to physical therapists, except usually it's the upper extremities and the face that they deal with. Oh, well, I love y'all's show. I love the thing on MTV. Thank you, Chad. We appreciate it. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Now we're going to go all the way to Robbie from Peru. Good morning, Robbie. 
Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I have sure. a question about coffee. They have fresh beans down here that are roasted, and I get it ground, and I have a drip coffee pot. And the last one or two cups, there's sediment in the bottom of the pot. With the liver being the filter for the body, should I be filtering that sediment out? Yeah, if if it's just plain coffee, you don't have to worry about it. Coffee is actually, you, you may get a little bit more, um, you know, concentration of caffeine in it. But that's not anything that is going to be harmful. You know, some of the things in the processing of coffee you have to worry about, but I would dare say your coffee is a whole lot fresher than any coffee that we could get here in the States. Um, so, yeah, that's fine. Incidentally, you know, and you're right, the liver does do a lot of the metabolism in the body and processing of things that we eat or ingest. Um, but coffee actually is really good at liver function. In fact, a lot of our gastroenterologists now, if you have um, like fatty liver disease is a good example, um, they'll uh, recommend two to three cups of coffee a day um, just because that has been shown to be associated with a better prognosis in liver function. So it's actually pretty good for your liver function. But, yeah, that's a little sediment. Um, I don't think it's anything to worry about, and if you ingest some of it, that's that's okay. Okay. I just read a paper, that, a report that came out of China. It said 4.2 cups gives longevity to life. I don't know. One more question, if you would. Sure. Um, I've heard that every time you put something in your mouth, your body secretes insulin. Does that include water? You, no, not not really. It's not necessarily in your mouth, but it's actually when you ingest it. So there's um, feedback mechanisms. The pancreas, you, you probably are familiar with, you know, produces insulin. It also produces something called glucagon that helps, that sort of does the opposite of insulin. Um, so... It's a complex process, but it is dependent on the types of food that you eat. So, you know, if you think about it, that would be if you just drank water and your body secreted insulin every time you drank water, you'd be in a heap of trouble fast. Um, oh, that's what I was thinking. Um, so, yeah, it's not it's not quite that that you know simple. It's 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 the types of food that actually are ingested, and then once it gets to your stomach, that's the point where your body. Uh, where your pancreas gets the feedback to know exactly what. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it for foods that have a higher glycemic, uh, a lower glycemic, in, or high, sorry, higher glycemic index, in other words, they have more potential to increase your blood sugar faster, your your pancreas automatically, if it's working correctly, it'll automatically increase the amount of insulin that you have. We always have some degree of insulin in our bodies sort of floating around, for normal processes, but after a meal, immediately after a meal, that's when it really goes up to help process that uh, that uh, blood sugar better, that glucose better. But yeah, if you just drank water like that on a fast, you'd be in a heap of trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I drink about a gallon a day, so it's more solid foods when it hits the stomach than yeah, the insulin exactly. is. Okay, okay, yeah. all right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robbie, for listening and calling. We do appreciate it. All the way from Peru. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical questions answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. 
For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions about any kind of health care issue that you might have. Had some great calls from all over the place, including Peru. So anybody else in a foreign country, feel free to call in right now. Uh, you can uh, access us by Skype or all kinds of different ways, however you can reach us. Uh, or you can email us. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. And some great questions, too. Uh, it's always it, – I'm very appreciative and um, uh, just amazed at the breadth of questions that we have that are so, so useful for our listening audience. So we get uh, some feedback from time to time of – how much that has really benefited other people. You always think that your question is you're the only person that's going to answer that, that's going to ask that, but it really there's a lot of other people out there that have the same question. So, call in right now. The number to call is 1877 MPB ring. That's 18776727464. Let's go to Mike from Jackson. Hey doc, uh I just got a question. I think I'm got some problems with tendonitis it starts with my shoulder and goes down my my arm into my thumb and in the morning it is just so tender and sore and as i become active during the day it almost goes away but it's down the left side of my arm on my thumb side of my arm it runs down and even has gone into my thumb but it, it in the morning I, I can't even twist my arm. It just and it's very painful in the morning from my shoulder and then on down my in, into my thumb. Is that tendonitis? It could be, Mike. Um, a couple of things come to mind just by your, your description of it. Um, it can be tendonitis. The only thing that sort of uh, speaks against that is how is the distribution. You know that far down. Once you get past a couple of, of joints like that, you know, shoulder joint to elbow joint and now past the wrist down to your thumb, it's probably more likely to be related to a nerve. Um, in particular, sort of what you're describing is sort of C5, C6, the, the nerves that control the function of the thumb and that part of your, of your, uh, of your forearm. Um, now, it can, you can even have an entrapment of a nerve around the uh, area of your shoulder or even in your neck that's causing that discomfort 
downstream, it does make sense that if it's worse at night, it's probably just because of the way you're sort of laying on it. Um, that's a common complaint. However, it could be it could be some tendonitis. It's just that we don't really have a tendon that goes all the way down from the shoulder like that. You can have you can have referred pain from tendonitis, but it usually doesn't go down more than about one joint below or above where you're actually having it. But here's what I would do: I'd I'd go to have somebody to look at it. it doesn't have to be orthopedic surgeon or anything. Have them do a thorough exam of your shoulder and see if they can reproduce it. If it's tendonitis, it's real easy to, to reproduce in the office. In other words, to put you through some some motions that sort of isolate uh, each muscle group and each tendon, and there's a couple of different tests that you can do for that. If they don't get anywhere with that, if it's not really conclusive, then they may want to do some imaging of your shoulder or your neck or both to try to figure out if there's something that's pressing on the nerve um, good news is if that's the case, most of the time it gets better with time. If it doesn't, um, you know, and there's a, a surgical option, uh, to, to try to improve it. Uh, most of the time those have very good prognosis. It's not like, you know, back surgery lower down. It's, uh, actually really good, but that's what I would do. First of all, is just get somebody to take a look at it. You, it could be a, a nerve entrapment though, even in the shoulder, um, just for some inflammation. It, it could be that you have tendonitis that's causing inflammation that is then causing some uh, entrapment of the nerve and then causing those symptoms all the way down to your to your thumb. Yeah. So I get somebody... Well, it, the, it's, the, fact it, that, the, the fact that it, it kind of dissipates almost by the end of the day, because uh, I'm a carpenter, and so I work with my hands, and the more active I get by the end of the day, it's almost gone. But in the morning, it's just right there. Yeah, so. yeah, and that that again that that sort of lends itself to a nerve uh, entrapment, just because tendonitis. The more you use it, the you know the, the tendon with motion, the worse it tends to get. So it's sort of the opposite okay. there. Um, and you may even you know if you don't have any contraindication from taking something like if you haven't already like Advil or ibuprofen. That could help if there's some inflammation around a nerve to sort of decrease that. So if you, you know, I would do that for about four or five days just to see if you get any relief with the symptoms. Thank you. All right, Mike, good luck to you. Nasty thing to have to go through, though, particularly when you're, you know, that's your livelihood of doing things over and over again. I've treated some dentists, same kind of thing. you got to use your hands to do those kinds of things. But uh, overuse injuries uh, are very common, particularly as we get older. Uh, I'm nursing one now, and the reason I didn't run and I rode this morning is because of some uh, some tendonitis problems that I'm having. So this is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us, send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. Lots of good calls this morning. Always good to talk to everybody. And I uh, know we haven't been, had a live program in a couple of weeks, so it's nice to get back into the swing of things. And uh, I miss everybody when I'm I'm gone uh, or doing other things and uh, can't be there. So just uh, do appreciate everybody. It's uh, sort of nice to uh, to get back in the groove after after having to have been out. Um, so there's lots of different things that come up from time to time. A couple of other things. We mentioned one early on about gastroesophageal reflux. 
The other thing that comes up, and particularly now that we have, you know, COVID sort of uh, our uh, BA2 uh, Omicron variant uh, sort of popping its head back up from time to time, uh, as we move out of pandemic phase, this can be uh, sort of expected, um, you know, that you have little, um, uh, not not countrywide, but small hotspots from uh, time to time that pop up and that doesn't mean that we can just go about things, uh, you know, and, and ignore that. You certainly want to be careful during those times. Certainly vaccination continues to be a big protection factor, even about uh, getting these, these new variants. But what if you have some sinus uh, congestion and cough for five days? And, uh, you know, what what happens? Uh, how should you get treated? Are antibiotics useful? Um, you know, there's, there's a... a good evidence-based way to to progress through that and as someone who's had similar symptoms uh, from time to time of sinus congestion it's really uh, not useful to always treat those with an antibiotic that's one of the reasons why we have antibiotic resistance to lots of different bacteria is uh, is over prescription use of that um, and it's something we want to try to avoid so generally speaking if you um, are having some sinus congestion, maybe it's a, uh, a fullness that's, in, uh, that's making your teeth hurt, or maybe it's a, uh, a discharge down the back of your throat, um, or a cough at night, and for five days, if you see your doctor, probably what they're going to do is look in, the, look in your throat, look in your nose, and make sure that you don't have uh, you know, evidence of active infection there. But even if they notice some sort of uh, mucopurulent discharge, it's just a nasty uh, discharge down the back of your throat uh, from your sinuses, they're probably going to prescribe or should prescribe a decongestant and maybe even in like a nasal wash or a nasal steroid to try to decrease some of the inflammation. Most of these conditions start with either an allergic antecedent that sort of uh, prompts all this inflammation and it sort of clogs up the normal drainage of your sinuses and then you can get into some problems. But what we know now is uh, it's it's actually better if you go ahead and treat that so that they can drain appropriately. And then if you're still not getting any improvement after anywhere from 7 to 10 days, that's the point where you want to check back with your doctor and then it's appropriate to treat with an antibiotic at that point. You don't have to get fancy actually augmenting or uh, azithromycin is perfectly fine to treat those but usually you don't start with an antibiotic. I know I've got a lot of my patients that call in and say, can I just get an antibiotic? I'm like, well, evidence doesn't really suggest that these days. Let's try this for about five to seven days and see if you don't get better. But very common, particularly in a state that has extremely high pollen levels uh, to grass pollens, uh, pollens, tree pollens. We just have the right kind of environment to, uh, to grow those things. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Martha from Vicksburg. Good morning, Martha. Good morning. I was listening to your program, and you were discussing that uh, you were going to discuss some promising new treatments for Alzheimer's. And then I got called away and wasn't able to to listen to the rest of that discussion. I was just wondering what those treatments might be. Sure. There's one in particular that has uh, had some that's been studied, and it's actually a, a monoclonal antibody. So it's an antibody that's targeted against the protein that causes those neurofibrillary tangles or plaques. 
uh, in the brain, and that causes a lot of the symptoms uh, from Alzheimer's. And it's a long name. That's why I couldn't remember it initially. Uh, aducanumab is the name of it, or Aduhelm is the, the uh, trade name of it. So that's A-D-U-H-E-L-M. So it's not necessarily for the prevention of Alzheimer's. It's it, Once you've been diagnosed with it, this targets that abnormal protein, uh, protein, proteins that are in the brain with those plaques to try to prevent that uh, accumulation of it. So very promising, um, fairly new on the market, and uh, it does, you know, uh, it does require a prescription and for somebody to uh, adequately uh, di- uh, or accurately diagnose you with Alzheimer's. So Aduhelm is the name of it. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical questions answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Have some great questions so far. Got plenty of time to sneak a few more in before we. Uh, leave for the day. Let's go to Roger from Florence. Good morning, Roger. Oh, good morning. I have Thank you. an additional question. I don't think you've addressed the how is Alzheimer's diagnosed? My out-of-date information says it's very difficult to diagnose. You just suspect it. It is, and because we have other forms of dementia, you really have to um, to check those off the list before you go to the diagnosis diagnosis of Alzheimer's. So, things like neuro, um, uh, there are certain uh, neurologic diseases that can be associated with dementia. Parkinson's is one uh, at the later stages. There's others. Uh, there is lots of uh, dementia from atherosclerotic disease. So if you're not getting enough blood flow to the brain, you can develop dementia over time as well. So certainly uncontrolled hypertension or diabetes over time can put you at risk for that. The 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 best diagnosis is actually a pathologic diagnosis, but you know, we don't go doing brain biopsies for dementia. That's uh, you know, sort of uh the uh, after after someone has died that we see that. Um, some of the, neuro, the neuroimaging techniques that they use now can be helpful, but it's mostly, like you said, it's sort of checking everything else off the list and looking at the signs and symptoms that you have on exam and a good neurocognitive exam. You can't just, you know, if somebody says, hey, I can't remember where I put my keys, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have dementia of any kind. 
you really have to do some thorough testing. There's some different different ways that that um, manifests itself. There's not really a blood test, although there's a lot of interest in doing that and trying to develop a test that can look for these beta amyloid levels that um, do contribute to the the plaques that form in the in the brain. But there's you're, you're right. There's not really a good test to say, hey, this is what you have. Sort of similar to some of the autoimmune diseases as well. Some of the overlap diseases, like mixed connective tissue disease uh, and others, they um, uh, there's not really a good one test that you can do for those. Uh, even even rheumatoid arthritis sometimes can be a little bit difficult. And if the test is negative, that doesn't mean you you don't have it. So. You're exactly right, Roger. You do have to have somebody that knows what they're doing, neurologists, geriatricians, uh, internal medicine doctors, uh, and others, uh, family medicine, that have some experience with that, that they can actually uh, do the testing, make sure that they don't have some other things that are causing the dementia, um, and then to go from there with a diagnosis. Can you comment on whether the latest uh, use of Aricept or Donapazel is is uh, still currently uh, encouraged for reducing the likelihood of developing Alzheimer's. That's what I've been told, and I've been taking it for 15 years. But I'm 83 now, and nothing's happened except for my craniotomy, which set me back a little bit uh, in memory. Yeah, it's so a little bit of evidence for that, not really good. But, hey, if it's working for you, that's fine. I would say if you've gotten to 83 you're probably not going to develop Alzheimer's. You may still de- develop, have a risk of developing other types of dementia, but there is sort of a fall-off after you make it, you know, past a certain age that it, you're less likely to get that. So um, those two drugs that you mentioned, the, Ar- the Aricept in particular, you know, usually if you don't see it, and, and that's really, it's it's less useful as a preventative measure and more useful as a treatment but even then, if you don't see an improvement in uh, cognitive function uh, after about three months, then that's not really useful to continue it. If you've been taking it that long, though, I would not, you know, I, I wouldn't argue with your your doctor about that. It's just the the evidence is not as good. But again, if you if you're 83 uh, and not really having any problems, that's that's pretty good prognosis that you're probably not going to get Alzheimer's at this point. Does it seem to you, uh, and I would check with my uh, regular uh, internal medicine doctor who's changed. It's a different doctor than the one that prescribed it, but uh, but she has never recommended uh, any change. But what do you know about if you simply discontinue it because you just decide, well, phooey, maybe I didn't need it or maybe it's done its job uh, after 15 years or whatever. What do you yeah, think that's, about that? That's certainly an, yeah, that's certainly an option. As you get older, every medication that you take, you should at least think about doing that. It's Oftentimes we add medications and we never think about stopping them. But, yeah, if you've been right. on it for that long and it, you don't really know if it's doing anything or, if, you know, I, I think it's worthwhile to stop it and see if you notice any changes. Um, and then uh, if, if you don't, that's one less thing you have to worry about. Well, I think I can attribute... I think an increased uh, short-term memory uh, problem to a uh, an injury I had. I had a had a fall. Uh, long, nice story about why, but <laughs> won't get into yeah. that. And then I developed a uh, brain brain bleed two or three months later, and 
actually began to lose use lose use of my left side muscle. So I had to have a craniotomy, and I've I believe completely recovered uh, physiologically from that. Sure, but it set me back. It, it just I think just blanked out a lot of memory uh, for for periods of time, not necessarily during that process. So. That I, I'm sort of stuck with, but uh, I just was wondering about the the Alzheimer's itself because the diagnosis is so really difficult, and uh, this particular product, as I understand it, is that's the target. And if right. I don't need that target, then I could drop this one off of my short list of uh, medications. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app.